welcome to Video Game Podtimism, the Optimist's video game variety show where two best friends and maybe some more people talk about the wonderful world of gaming before anybody says anything. Oh, uh, also, my name is Chase. Hi. Let me do this. I have to wait for the riff to hit to make this effective, so just bear with me. Nah, Distinguished guests and gamers, it's my pleasure to introduce you to our two special hosts this evening. In this corner, we have the host with the most ink-stained intensity, the Sultan of storytelling, the Bard of breaking news. Brace yourself for a barrage of brilliant, brainy banter. This relentless tour does not just dance with deadlines, he spars with the stories, throwing jabs of journalistic integrity and hooks of heart-stirring narratives. Ira Glass who? This is Noah Hertz. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Wow. In the next corner, it's the public radio prodigy who pirouettes through the airwaves with the finesse of a frequency foraging virtuoso. Get ready for an auditory escapade like never before as we ra welcome the radio rockin'tour with a perchance for pirates and pixelated quests. Our podcast paragon, the One Piece pundit with an ocarina in hand. <laughs> it's Tori Dominguez Peak. Wow, this is incredible. This is really <laughs> do you do incredible. This, you do this for all of your guests? So far, it's wow. a curse that I've laid upon myself. I've got one more paragraph. So whether you're a Titus lover, a straw hat sympathizer, or a Hyrule historian, please welcome the Press Start crew for a symphony of gaming insights, anime anecdotes, and audio allure. It's not just a podcast. It's a journey through pixels and beyond guided by the Gen Z maestros of the gaming galaxy. And remember... In the realm of press start, we don't just play the games, we report the news, goddammit. So oh let's press God. start and let the gaming gala begin. <sighs> Video games. Soft Report fade. the news. So what are you doing? Are you, are you recording your screen there and capturing no. all that? Okay, you're going to have no. that in post. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I have, I've, I've cursed myself in this way that a big part of this podcast is showing and listening to audio at the same time, mm -hmm. but I haven't figured out quite how to record my screen into <laughs> audacity, so I, also I just have to make it out. sound i just have to make it sound good later one of my favorite my brother my brother and me bits for ages was like when mm -hmm. one of them would have like a soundboard they would use and now yes, that like yeah. i now that like i have used audio editing i'm just like how the fuck did they do i that? have no <laughs> i have no idea how they make that work it's been a mystery for me for like years at this point hello and welcome thank you both for coming to do this podcast hello this is a treat. Thank you so much. This is incredible. Yeah. I uh, I said a lot of words there, but I feel like I don't. I didn't actually introduce you guys. Um, would you be comfortable doing uh, just like a, hey, here's our deal? Please. Or, yeah. Yes. Tori, why don't you tell people what our podcast is? Yeah. Uh, Noah and I are co-hosts of a show called Press Start, uh, where we talk about... We report the news on games every week, what we've been interested in, and then we talk about what we've been playing, and we delve into not just games, but also sometimes current events, shows, movies, books, and kind of what it means to be a person on, in the world and in the society. Yeah, I feel like it needs to be said that like we uh, we don't really do a whole lot of news reporting. We we rely on the fantastic games journalism that yeah, floats like around we're we're in not yeah we're we're sharing we're showing we're sharing links to IG and in, in the Google Doc. Yes, yes, but uh, but the two of us are people who like work in the news space, and our our third co-host Nathaniel also works like in news. So uh. We, we really enjoy being able to pivot from our day jobs, which requires that we pay attention to, you know, current events and very serious things that are going on to 
and in the evening talking about video games we've been playing and focusing on like equally serious news in the video yeah, games. Yeah, one of so. our one of our early taglines in the show is that we're not games journalists; we're journalists who happen to game. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that's our and show. As corny as that is, that is accurate. But uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I I will say just like personally, the thing that got me started listening to y'all in the first place was uh, just the sheer pitch of a Gen Z podcast on bad video games. Um, <laughs> that too, because yeah, I feel like the and y- y'all have said this before too that the millennial dude voice is mm-hmm. overrepresented which i realize the irony of uh, me saying that but like <laughs> still it is uh, a a very common perspective and so it was like pretty fascinating at least initially for me to be like hey i would i'm very interested in what people who are not like didn't grow up in the same context think about the same shit that like i love so that was generally what brought me over to y'all in the first place yeah yeah, it's kind of funny because like that was that was one of the motivating factors when we were first deciding mm-hmm. to do something like this because like Tori, I know you and I have both talked about this quite a bit, but like I don't know, so much of the early touchstones, like we've both been on the internet for like a long time and yeah. we yeah. we both as people who really enjoy video games, like I spent a lot of time on like game FAQs and I spent a lot yeah. of time on YouTube when I was growing up, but like I I found that like I I could never really relate to like the angry video game nerd or like a lot mm-hmm. of people of that that uh that oeuvre that generation who who built a platform on like you guys remember this nes game that was like really hard and really annoying and like mm-hmm. i had an nes in my household because like my yeah. dad bought an nes at one point but like i was a gamecube kid i was an n64 kid like i yeah yes, i couldn't yeah. relate to that and as i've gotten older I found that, and that is definitely changing a lot, thank, thankfully in part, and also just because like that's good to have different voices in that space, but even still, mm-hmm. like that generation and that age group is still definitely overrepresented in like the, yeah. the big games journalism space, and I think the two of us were always kind of annoyed by that. Yeah, I feel like rightfully so. There's so much of it. <laughs> yeah, there there is a lot of it. When I was growing up, we had like the G4 channel, like it just like appeared yes, on like yeah. direct TV one day. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, I spent copious hours. My brother had a TV in his room and I we spent copious hours watching shit like Ninja Warrior and like lots mm-hmm. of like Japanese game shows. But also there was like gaming commentary on there. And there was always this like, I'm not saying they're all like this, but there was just always like. There's like a round table or a couch or like two beanbags, whatever. And it's like three dudes and like one hot lady. <laughs> yes. And yeah. it was Olivia and, Munn. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's true. <laughs> and like, it, I don't know. It just like never really sat right with me. And she yeah. was kind of allowed to like be hot and say some like pithy one liners. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it seemed really weird to me that like you ha- like to be a respected gamer girl, which like that's very loaded in of itself you had to like yes, yeah. there could only be one of you at a time and you had to be like really hot and <laughs> yes, i was just yeah. like yeah that's not that's not my experience that's not right and i think we also grew up in a time when like cozy games and like gaming fandoms on tumblr and like the rise of things mm-hmm. like animal crossing became more apparent so this whole like ooh, the one girl who games just like didn't make sense because like all of my yes, girlfriends yeah. had pokemon faces like it just didn't yeah register with me yeah it, it feels like a hangover from like the marketing of like the 90s and 2000s of yeah. that era like it was just so tailored towards like initially kind of like young 
youngish boys and then eventually teenage boys. Um, mm-hmm. And there was just really not a lot of consideration giving to like anybody else, <laughs> not just like another gender, but like literally yeah. anybody else. And so, yeah, it's it, I also like grew up with G4 and at the time was just like, fuck, yeah, dude, video games on TV. Let's go. <laughs> fuck, yeah. Dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, I as a concept, it's great. On my TV. Dude, yeah. as a concept, fantastic. Yeah. But uh, it, like having seen some of the stuff on there, like more recently, I was like, yeah, there's definitely a lens to this that is a little bit more painful to <laughs> to witness in, in modern day. No. Oh, my God. Like within the last year, there was this like random tactics RPG published by Japanese video game publisher Atlas that I heard mm. of. I don't even know how I heard of it. It just like randomly came across my radar and I was like, this looks cool because the art for the game was done by the guy who did the art for like the early Shin Megami Tensei Persona games. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, what is this game? How have I never heard of this? So I looked up yeah. on YouTube to see if there were any video reviews oh, so that I could no. see like gameplay of it and people talk about it. And one of the first things that come up, came up was like a G4 X-Play review of it. And aye, I was aye, like, aye. well, this isn't my first choice, but like if it's the only thing that's going to come up, I'll click <laughs> on it. Me. And what I got yeah. was just like this incredibly racist review that was just like, it's another one of those games from Japan. It's another one of those <laughs> fucking Asian games. Like it's so quirky and weird and Asian. And like there was definitely yeah. some more racist stuff than that in it too. <laughs> And that's why, like, it's been, like, a goal of ours as we've been recording a podcast. Like, we have guests on periodically on the show. Mm -hmm. And some of it, a lot of it, I will say, is just, like, an excuse to talk to people who we think are really interesting and, like, who we would want to be friends with. But, like, it's been really important to us to, like have a lot of women on the show and have a lot of queer people on the show and like people who people who don't fall into like a particular gender binary who are transgender people of color and like to elevate this people who have typically been marginalized from the space of like capital g gamer but like have Mm -hmm. been there the whole time you know Yes, yeah. yeah. It's also super cool to talk to people who have like lived outside the US. Um, yes, yeah, totally. Lucy, I'm forgetting their last name, but the creator of the game One Night yeah. Stand, who like born and raised mm-hmm. in the UK, lives in Germany, are one of our more recent episodes with Nadia Shemis, mm-hmm. who lived in uh, Palestine and now lives in the US and then now lives in mm-hmm. Canada. Like, I think their perspectives are really interesting. So yeah, it's been, it's been an excuse to talk to cool people who (laughs) wouldn't talk to me otherwise. Yeah. What is a podcast <laughs> is not an excuse yeah. to talk to cool people. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of cool people, do you want to talk about some video games? Yeah. Yeah. Are you cool. kidding me? <laughs> Great. So normally during this part, we just talk about whatever we've been playing. So I want to open the floor to both of you. Talk about any of the shit that you're playing, relevant or not or whatever. So we did, we are like, we did just drop an episode today about our three month Final Fantasy X hashtag journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A very good episode, I will say. I've listened to that today. Oh, really? Oh, thank you. I appreciate Thanks. That. Yes. And I, I'm still like thinking about it. It was a good time. I was just thinking about like what, what could have been done for me to have had a better time in that last like twenty mm-hmm. percent of the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a slog there towards the and end. And to be honest, like all of my problems were just the fact that I didn't want to use a walkthrough. Like that's <laughs> oh, why I well. suffered so much throughout like all the cloister of trials. Like they're like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I'm dumb. Like I need, I need a walkthrough. And I think like post-mortem review of Final Fantasy X, like 
given mm-hmm. my walkthroughless run, except for the very <laughs> end, and I was like, I really need these fucking weapons. Like, yeah. let's pull up jagged.com. I made the best of it, and I, I really liked it. And there's, I have two wolves inside of me, and <laughs> wolf number one is like, you need to either play like Sea of Stars or like another Final Fantasy game or another like JRPG adjacent game. And then mm-hmm. wolf number two is like, you need to just play like Mario Wonder and be like brain empty mm-hmm. for like the next month. Yes, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. Noah, where are you at? I've also still been thinking about Final Fantasy X. I'm having that thing with Final Fantasy X where it's like, uh, you know when you finish reading a really good book and you like close yeah. it? And you've still got like, you still have like book reading energy in you mm-hmm. where you're like, yes. well, I, f- I really enjoyed reading. I could read another book, but like you need time to process <laughs> the book you just finished. I kind of yeah, still feel yeah. that way about Final Fantasy X. Not because like, oh my God, I'm still sitting with it, but also because like I spent mm-hmm. f- like several months of my life playing that game yes, i rolled yeah. credits on it and i was like wow i spent almost 60 hours playing that video game and it's kind of <laughs> the same feeling i got when i finally beat persona 5 when i was in college where it was like yeah. i spent almost 100 hours with this video game and it was like that's the feeling is not like wow that's time i'm never gonna get back it's just like this is like a piece of art just like a thing that i spent so many hours of my life with and yeah, yeah. i feel like with a lot of video games especially rpgs because they have a tendency to get a little long in the tooth i re- a point with them where i'm just like i like really want it to end yes whereas i don't feel that way with a lot of other media and i don't feel that way with like every video game i play either Mm -hmm. but like uh sometimes rpgs like that it reaches a point at the end where it's like the numbers don't really mean anything anymore and i'm just ready for it to be over with so yeah final fantasy 10 i i say that as if we didn't record a two-hour long podcast that is mostly (laughs) us saying positive things about that game but um yes yeah yeah no, I, I agree. The book reading thing. I was mostly traveling this past week, though. I, I went up to uh, to Philadelphia, New Jersey for a wedding. When, I, when I'm traveling, when I'm in travel mm-hmm. mode, I either like bring my DS or my PSP with me to like embark mm-hmm. on a long journey, or I just want mm-hmm. like brain off games. And yeah. since I was traveling and having just come off of the high of a 60-hour RPG, I played a lot of Slay the Spire on the Mm. plane to and from philadelphia and man it doesn't matter if you've put 100 hours into that game it doesn't matter if you've put two hours into that game it is just so fucking good it's so yeah it's amazing it's so good it's like that boom of roguelike games that Mm -hmm. came i don't know exactly when slay the spire came out like i know when i definitely started seeing it like on like the steam recommended page and the switch eShop and that kind of thing but i know that I there think was, it was like, like, t- like 2019 i feel like is when that game dropped that that sounds that honestly mm-hmm. sounds later than i expected yeah. but like that was 1.0 to be fair yeah there's like that tidal wave of roguelike games where you get mm-hmm. like enter the gungeon and you get just like all of these different games that, that are kind of like taking that th- that formula of and i'm not even sure which thing popularized i know like the binding of isaac is a big one and pushing that forward yeah. But like Slay the Spire just does such a good job of making you feel like you've never quite beaten it in a way mm-hmm. that like a lot of those roguelikes, like like a rogue legacy is a good one. That it's like yeah. when you beat it, I didn't ever really feel like there was a reason to go back to it unless I was going to totally start over or like Spelunky. It's like once you get the true ending, mm-hmm. it's like you can do a run or two. But it's like, why would you do a run or two? Like you've played this so much. Whereas Slay the Spire... Yeah, yeah. 
there's like so many things even after you've like beaten it for each of the character types to just like go back and try to beat it at a slightly harder version or beat it Mm -hmm. at a slightly harder version after that or do the daily one that is randomized every time like it's it's just crazy how much of a well of game there is in that game and since it's a card game and it's focused around deck building like it it sounds trite but like no playthrough you play of that game is ever going to be the same as another playthrough you play of it yeah no it's the shit i'm also a a deck building roguelike freak yeah just absolutely consume any of those games that i can possibly play that was like the the meme between david and i like the first like year or so of podtimism was just like i can't there's none of these that i won't play i'll buy every single one of them and try any of them and i think yes most of my interest in the genre came from slay the spire it's just it's so good it's so amazing because we're friends on like nintendo switch and like I'm a, I'm a weirdo who loves to watch what other people are playing. Like I love when I'm, I'm playing too. something and it's like Noah's playing Fortnite and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Please don't look at how many hours I've played Fortnite, dude. <laughs> Please don't look at how many hours I've played Animal Crossing. But like Yeah, all right, fair. Like I, I've noticed that whenever we're like in between games, like we beat a game, but we haven't committed to another one, I always see Slay the Spire pop up with you. Yeah. It seems like it's like your your kind of like a bread and butter game. I admire yeah. people who have bread and butter games. Like my partner does this with with Rock with Rocket League. Like if like mm. you know, he plays mm. a lot of games like in a serial fashion, but like in between them, it's like Rocket League for a week, you know, and then on to the yeah. next game. And I wish I was one of those people because in between games, I'm kind of in like a weird malaise. I just like scroll my phone and then I like I read half a book and don't finish and then I get back into playing a game. So I have not like I need to I need to figure that that part of myself out. You're laying in bed like a like a small Victorian child whose humors are out of whack. <laughs> no, like, literally. I'm like, I need to recover. <laughs> I got too much of the I got too much of the, the outdoor miasma. I got I got poisoned by sin. Yeah. Yeah, you did get poisoned by sin. Yeah, Slay the Spire for me is like it is both something that I like to return to when I need like a comfort game. And I guess it mm-hmm. is, now that you're pointing this out, kind of like my uh my piece of ginger in between pieces of sushi. It's like I've finished yeah. a long game and I just need to like wash the crevices of my brain out with a deck builder. <laughs> and like it's funny you say that, Chase, about like you guys like that unlocking deck builders for you. Like I've talked about this on mm-hmm. our podcast before. Like my first brush with deck building games was when I was a kid. And I was like, oh my God, Kingdom Hearts 1 was so fucking cool. What comes next? And I played Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories and I fucking hated it. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was just like, (laughs) why can't I just press the X button or like press the confirm button to swing my keyblade infinitely? Why do I have to use cards? Such a universal memory. It is. And like, and well, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe some children were just like way smarter and like better at cards than I was. It wasn't me. I also was like, what the, what the fuck, dude? And like I was like that until I was like a college student and then one of my roommates who's like a best friend of mine sat me down and was like I'm going to teach you how to play Magic the Gathering and I was like okay and like this is going to be such a fucking opaque reference have either of you read the Dark Tower series from Stephen King yeah. No yeah. okay I've read other King books though like okay then, then you yeah you kind of get the King idea at the very end of the first book in the the Dark Tower series the Gunslinger 
the the main gunslinger character Roland finally reaches this like evil wizard dude he's been chasing the entire book and they sit down and just like smoke weed together and he's just like <laughs> he's just like hey dude I know you've been like chasing me the whole book but like what if we just like smoked weed but it's actually like mind expanding weed and the the, the cowboy <laughs> the trippy cowboy guy has like this moment where his mind is like knocked out of whack and he like sees the entire shape of the universe and it like kind of fucks him up I kind of felt like that when I played Magic the gathering for the first time yeah you're like, having like, a, like a turtle who carries the universe on his back moment here fucking literally i was like i understand how deck builders work it like unlocked yes, yeah. a portion of my brain uh, literally ever since then like i still like magic and every other card game i pick up i'm just like how can i get into this in an unhealthy way i had this experience the first time i or not the first time but like around the time i started playing D, &D mm. which i was like kind of late to the game on i started playing in like kind of my mid-20s and i had like grown up with video games and so I, I, this is maybe stupid to point out but like so much of video games are is just based on D, D. yeah like yeah just the the base stats for like any rpg is mostly D, &D based mm -hmm. and at, at least at the time i feel like so much of the gaming industry was so focused on like just mechanical advancement and so, like, for me, it was silly to want to play the pen and paper version. Like, why Why would I play the shittier version of a video game? Which is, like, silly, of course. Like, D&D &D rocks. But at the time, I was like, I could just play Final Fantasy X, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Why would I want to play a pen and paper version of this? <laughs> Final Fantasy X already has Orin in it. But paper Final yeah, pa paper D&D, <laughs> I have to, like, make a guy who's, like, Orin. Yeah, I have to convince someone to do Orin's voice for me. <laughs> <laughs> which sucks. I just, I want to play the video game, but I played D&D &D and will like had the same moment of like my, like brain blast sort of thing of, okay, I understand why a, why this is cool and B why so many games have like based themselves off of this. Yeah. I was also like very bad at RPGs when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So like that also helped me be like, I should invest in magic and not just hitting people. Yeah. I, uh, for just to back up a second, I got stuck at the fight between like the, the Final Fantasy X party and Seymour when he first like starts saying like, I'm going to summon like his big shitty guy that he pulls out of hell. Yeah. I yeah. like got stuck at that fight. I genuinely couldn't get past it when I was younger and was like, I guess this is the end of Final Fantasy for me. Like that's my <laughs> canon run is that Seymour just whips our ass and that's the end of it. It's so funny. I, I have met like three different people who are like, I, I, I lost it at Seymour. Mm -hmm. like var variations i think that's like a really critical moment as like somebody who gets into video games as a young person and then sticks with video games though to just like have mm -hmm. your ass absolutely beat by something that is numbers based because like yeah it, it, like we were, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording but like the way or no that was when we were recording like the way video games were marketed for so long is like yeah whoa you're a teenage boy don't you want to run fast like sonic <laughs> when it's like Dude. the reality is that so much of the history of video games is people going how can i make ping pong on a computer screen and then also how can i replicate the feeling of playing D, &D because it's really hard to schedule all my friends to get in a room to play D, &D with me mm -hmm. <laughs> and like yeah. that's video games and obviously video yeah. games is more than that but like Sure. So, so much of what we get from like experiences we play in games that come out in 2023, we owe to like nerds in the 80s who were like, all my friends are too busy. So how can I try to program D&D, &D? you know? Yes. So, yeah. Shout out to them, honestly. Yeah. Huge shouts out to 80s nerds. What was the game that beat your guys' ass numbers wise when you were younger? <sighs> 
It was, uh, this is tragic. It was mm-hmm. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, the DS one. Hell yeah. <laughs> I got to the final boss. You're like in hell. Yeah. <laughs> Or whatever you and your you and your little yeah. your little like chibi friends and your little moogle and like it's like end game and I just couldn't beat the final boss and it was one of those like fuck you situations where like mm. I resaved at the point of no return so I couldn't like oh no and God. so I just had to like I just stopped and the thing is like I'm actually pretty impressed with myself because I played this when I was like nine so the fact that I got myself to the final boss yeah that's shocking I just. I just needed to not save and then progress. I should have just like before saving at the point of no return, I should have just like grinded for like literally two hours max and I would have beaten it, which makes it all the more tragic. Oh, man. So <laughs> I live close to where Limited Run is based in North Carolina. They have a re- mm. they have a store here called Limited Run Retail. And mm-hmm. I go there like every so often just to see like what they have like a they have a mix of like limited run stuff and also like retro games. And they've also started selling like retro video game guides. Mm-hmm. And they had a Prima strategy guide for that mm-hmm. Crystal Chronicles game and I almost bought it, even though I don't even own that game anymore. Because I was just, just to like feel something. Just to see how it ends. Yeah, just to feel something. So that was my first experience with getting my ass beat. That era of of games too, you were talking about like needing or wanting to not need a guide to beat Final Fantasy X. And like, I know it's possible and there's a lot of games of that era that it's possible from. But like, I remember so much of like game design was just influenced by people or maybe it was Prima who was pushing this, mm-hmm. but like needing to buy a strategy guide to be able to even have a shot at beating a game was like totally necessary yeah when me and my friends were like playing or not even some of my friends like the people i went to school with not even my friends when like ocarina of time was hot i like i was known at school as a kid who had a strategy guide for prima (laughs) and so like i would get like phone calls at my home uh, my place of rest and they'd be like hey can i talk to chase i'm like and my dad's like yeah sure whatever (laughs) and he gives the phone to me and he's like hey dude i'm like i haven't talked to you at school in like six months how do you like a how do you have my phone number but b what do you want and he's like dude i'm stuck in jabu jabu i need help oh my god and that was like our way of getting through this shit because you were just like game faqs for your entire yes, school yeah but like a yeah, guy instead of uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just a guy, just, just yeah. a guy. that's crazy <laughs> i remember like when i was younger i had the game guide for uh pokemon emerald on the game boy advance mm-hmm. and um love pokemon emerald third gen pokemon's yeah, great it's great but looking back i remember at the time being like like there are puzzles in that game that require that you know braille and like what i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know braille like yeah and the guidebook just had like hey here's the braille alphabet in the back and like you would come upon oh my these God. you'd come across a wall tori that was like it would be like a wall of things and you click a little box you'd press a and a text box would pop up and it would be dots and then the braille of those dots would spell out like use hm cut and you would just use cut on a wall that it does not look like you should use cut on and then it would open up the next chamber and this was how you got like reggie rock and those guys and oh my god at the wow, time, this is like, bonkers i would just use the strategy guide but i remember like a few years yeah. later looking back and being like why the fuck did they do that yeah were there were kids going to the library like checking out books on braille yeah that that's the <laughs> thing is like i just find it unrealistic that like people would know how to do these puzzles and it's possible that the game designers were making this as a way of like here is the section for the absolute people not that mm-hmm. like knowing braille is weird but like no. a kid who doesn't know braille and 
would be like, I'm going to figure this out because I just have to bash my head against this wall to get everything in this fucking video game. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a possibility, but I find it much more realistic that like strategy guide companies were like, could you build in some just like truly heinous shit that like people could not get past if they wanted to that we can like reveal to I, people. I love the conspiracy theory energy of this chase. You're like, <laughs> the games are hard because the guides lobbied them. Yeah. That's, them that's my best guess because I have no information about this. <laughs> like absolutely zero actual hard evidence for either direction. It's the All best right. I've got. I want to, I've been thinking about it over here and I want to share the game that kicked my ass. Chase, you specifically asked about numbers and like mm-hmm. if I was going to be honest and share like the first RPG that really kicked my ass, it would probably mm-hmm. be like the first Paper Mario because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. even oh, as yeah. a kid, as a kid, those numbers were small enough that I feel like I could have figured it out. But even even yeah. an RPG that is tailored toward children does still expect you to reach a point where you're going to understand like inventory management in a way that yes, like yeah. as a stupid child, I absolutely did not. I, I think that's why I want to share this one because this is the game that really kicked my ass for the first time. And it was because mm-hmm. I didn't understand inventory management and like saving or like any of this stuff. And to set the scene, the year is the year is 2003. The Lord of the Rings movies are so fucking hot. And yeah. uh, everybody is just like, like EA has already made the hack and slash like uh, Two Towers and Return of the King mm-hmm. games. There was that one, the the third age, I think that came out later. That was like just an yeah. RPG that was just Final Fantasy X, but Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But somewhere in between there, the the development studio Inevitable Entertainment, I didn't know that off the top of my head. I'm on Wikipedia right now, made <laughs> The Hobbit for the PS2 and the GameCube. Hell yeah. They sure did. And I had The Hobbit for the GameCube. And this was like a weirdly faithful recreation of the book, The Hobbit. And like, yeah. I, I was not, I was not like really into Tolkien as a kid. My, my dad just was. So we had this game and I remember it was a third, it was an action adventure platformer, you know, so you're like swinging, staying and shit and like killing orcs yeah. or whatever. And you're like using his little walking stick to vault over things. And I remember it being a fun game, but I remember that I got stuck irreparably because I had <laughs> saved before a boss fight and I didn't have any God, health dude. potions. And I remember just like trying and trying and trying to beat this boss and being like, if I can just like figure it out, I can beat it. But it was like, it, it came down to like, no, you didn't manage your inventory right. <laughs> and like, I think that... That kind of stuff is just as much a part of like the D&D-ness of so many video games as the numbers are, where it's like you need to know, and we're going to get into this a little more when we talk about the game that we played for this episode, I'm sure, but like Mm -hmm. you need to know when to use the potion and when you should maybe wait until you, after you save to use the potion. And that is not necessarily like a skill that I think children are born with. No, they like lose one little section of health and they're like, oh, I want to be at full health. So I'm just going to use my potions now. Yeah. And I think that kind of experience turned me into the type of gamer who is like, I get to the the final boss fight and I'm looking (laughs) at my inventory and I'm like, got all these items that I've been hoarding. (laughs) Like, I guess I could use them now. You have like 20 potions that are so ineffective for how high your health pool is now and like a hundred (laughs) bananas and like something that you'd have no idea what even does, but like maybe you'll need it someday. Exactly. I didn't want to sell at the shop because it was worth a lot of money and that made me think it was valuable, (laughs) so I should hang on to it. Speaking of this conversation, my partner just texted me that he got our nephew a Super Mario 1 for Christmas. Mm. This oh, will nice. be our nephew's 
first video game. Oh my God. Is this the nephew who's really into Sonic the Hedgehog? No, I have two nephews. I have one who's really into Sonic okay. the Hedgehog and one who like has been wanting a Switch, but ha- I he does hasn't expressed any interest in any particular IP. So I'm just like Mario. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. You gotta set him up with like a, a real a real fastball over home plate. Just an easy, digestible Mario. Yeah. We got Mario Wonder. My thinking is like, well, he's seven. So like he can be Yoshi and like not die. But yeah. I, I'm wondering yeah. what these kids' first games that will like beat their ass be. Like I hope it's not Mario Wonder. I want to traumatize him. But mm-hmm. like, is he gonna play Mario Wonder, like it, and then try to play Odyssey and then have a bad time? <laughs> I feel like this game fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. Or is it, do you think kids are having had a bad time with like Breath of the Wild? I just, I just wonder how this is going to progress to like the next generation. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I feel like they're like a lot of games are pretty accessible these days for like somebody who like maybe this is That's their first true. game or yeah. something like that. So it, yeah, I am curious which one's going to screw up the next gen hard enough for them to be good at video games again. Yeah. Speaking from like personal experience, I had a really hard time in like the like SNES era Mm. I was born in 1990 and so like I was like seven when like SNES was still pretty hot and yeah N64 was coming out around that time too but like my parents didn't know like ass about video games and so like I would just constantly be like can I please like rent something from Blockbuster dude mm-hmm. um, and they'd be like yeah sure but like I would get home and like be tasked with figuring out how to play like Final Fantasy and I'm uh, like I literally was like I don't know that I can like read very well and like that that was enough of a barrier a lot of the time for me to be like i don't know dude fuck goof troop i don't really like this game because i don't understand how to play it but like mario is like just easy enough to be like yeah you just go right man that's 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 good enough that'll be all right i think a lot i'm glad you mentioned like your parents not being into video games because i think a lot about the fact that like a lot of my early gaming uh and tori like i know you have a lot to say about this too but like a lot of my early gaming stuff came from my dad because he yeah. kind of kind of missed the night like the late 90s and the early 2000s i was born 98 so like when i was a mm-hmm. kid i got when i was five i got a gamecube for christmas and that was like a huge yeah. fucking moment for me but like a lot of my early retro video game retro in quotation marks uh, education came from like the fact that my dad's genesis was out a lot of the time and like yeah. my dad's nes would come out every now and then so like i played the early sonic the hedgehogs as a kid and i played like duck hunt and that kind of shit but and this is going to sound morbid but i promise it's not but like when my parents divorced and like a lot of my dad's video game knowledge then went to my dad's house but i still Mm -hmm. wanted to like play video games a lot i i was always really interested in the fact that like my mom didn't really see the point for a long time when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and she was just like why are you why do you want to play super smash brothers melee so fucking much and i was just like (laughs) i don't know man like i just i want to play super smash brothers melee and like shit's good mom uh, like later on my little sister got a nintendo ds and I think she mostly got a DS because I had a DS and she was like mm-hmm. like a little kid and was jealous and wanted a DS. So she got yeah. one and yeah. she got the Hannah Montana video game for the DS. And my sister Absolutely. Classic. My yeah. sister was way too young to be playing video games, like just could not wrap her <laughs> head around it. Because this game had a lot of reading and my sister mm. could not read at the time. So she basically like gave my mom the Hannah Montana game. It was like beat it for me so I can watch you. <laughs> so like my mom's first well it's not my mom's first my parents like played diablo 2 together on the pc for some reason but like my mom's first like post my dad experience with games came from like my sister making her play a ds game and then i remember after she beat that she like she like earnestly sat down like 10 year old me and was like i really 
kind of liked that experience, even though it was a bad Whoa. game. What game should I play next? And <laughs> at the time, at the time, I was playing Pokemon Diamond, and I was like, "You should play Pokemon Pearl." Oh wow! <laughs> and this was like one hundred percent selfishness. You know, it was like if she gets Pearl, I can get the Pokemon that I can't get in Diamond. But what I ended oh, up getting wow. out of that was like <laughs> a parent who fell hard for Pokemon and like then up through like pretty much up through being a high schooler, like when the new Pokemon games came out, like my mom and I would each get them. And so like, yeah, oh I'd go God. play with my friends and stuff. And then like I'd come home and my mom and I would like talk strategy about like gym bosses and stuff. So it's like the fact, the fact that games are a lot of games, at least, especially Nintendo games are trying to be more accessible not just to kids like i always get a little annoyed when the conversation turns to like and this mode has this for kids because i think it's mm -hmm. kind of reductive you know like it might be for sure. like mom who's never played a game before or like yes, yeah. Yeah. older sibling who missed the past four generations but really wants to play with their nephew or that kind of thing and i mm -hmm. think i think the uh one one voice that was largely left out of like games journalism in the casual game boom of the wii era was like the person who thinks it's cool that casual gaming is getting more people into gaming and like lo and behold yes. yeah. we have more people into gaming than there ever have been yeah mm -hmm. absolutely yeah my both my parents played games my dad was like an atari kid and my mom was very like an 80s nerd like she had friends who were into D D. she had mm -hmm. super metroid she had castlevania and then when i was growing up like, it was interesting because I never played any games with my mom, but I watched her play them. And these were like PS1, PS2 era, like yeah. Resident Evil 4, Silent Hill 2. Like, she played a lot of horror. And there were some parts that were too scary where she's like, go back to your room. Like, <laughs> damn. Like, I, I, yeah, like Pyramid Head came out. She was like, go back oh, to yeah. your room. And I was like, okay. Um, There's like. <laughs> There's so much gory shit in Resident Evil 4 that, like, is probably fine. But, like, yeah, dude, the moment Pyramid Head shows up, I'm like, oh, we got to clear out of here. Like, there, there should <laughs> yeah. be no children. In <laughs> yeah, the room right like, now. for real. And then as I got older, she and my brother would play stuff together. So I would just watch them play stuff together. And so it was a lot of, like, Bethesda. So, like, Oblivion, mm -hmm. Skyrim, Fallout stuff. And so, like, yeah. I developed an appreciation for RPGs via that. And then the Nintendo, like, hand-me-downs I got. And then horror, it's so interesting. Cause I, I grew up watching, like, a lot of horror. Mm -hmm. But, like, I still haven't played much of it myself. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's, it's sort of interesting. That's so cool. This is honestly making me a lot, a very, like, very relieved because again the, the voices that i hear on the internet are of my age mm -hmm. and i think like the uh, i was about to say my story is not for the faint of heart i was about to do a titus thing but yeah, uh, like what i'm what i'm getting to this is my story <laughs> i was a gamer in the 90s no oh, oh my god, god. Dude, i can't i can't do this character what i was gonna say is that i feel like that story is kind of common of like my parents don't know ass about video games mm -hmm. and like I will with just one little asterisk real quick. My dad loved Doom. My dude was crazy about Doom. Okay, That's dads awesome. love Doom. That's true. Like my dad, dads really yeah, dads love Doom. Doom. Yeah. It's, a fact. it's like fast enough. I don't I don't understand, but yeah, it's like catnip to to 90s dads, but <laughs> I I'm I'm like looking at like, you know, maybe like starting a family in the next like year or so, yeah. and I'm so concerned about how do I present this to a kid and not just look like a fucking dweeb because I want 
to have a Smash Brothers partner or a Mario Kart bud. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like it could so easily be presented as like, oh, it's like dad's nerd shit, you know, like how how stupid and and weird. But hey, good call out on sending kids out for horror because I really don't want to stop playing like Resident Evil and Silent Hill. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But like, there's a there's a path here. There's a way to do this. It's fun. Like, so I I was saying like I have two nephews, and so one is getting Mario mm. Wonder, and then the other one is five. So I don't think I can give him Mario mm. Wonder. I think that's a little too hard. Mm. So I think I'm gonna get him like the like this is like the Let's Go Pikachu. Oh yeah, like yeah. one of those. Those games are good, too. Yeah, what's really funny, Chase, is my five-year-old yeah. nephew, this is like the most, bo- I, every time I tell people this, like their their brain explodes. <laughs> my, five, my five-year-old nephew loves Mario and Sonic, but that's mm-hmm. because he watched the Sonic TV show on Netflix in the Mario movie. <laughs> Like yeah. those are his entries into the that video game IP is like the Chris Pratt yeah. movie in the Netflix show. That's so crazy. So like future future Chase's kid could get into Mario ostensibly yeah. from the movie or whatever non-video game Mario <laughs> content. And then that's the gateway into playing Mario Kart with his dad. So future little chase is gonna watch the onimusha anime and do be like dude please tell me what the the, the uh, origin of this cool cool anime is and i'll point them to this episode maybe there yeah, you go. yeah. <laughs> um let me just real quick before we go all full onimusha i did want to mention that i've played and beat and i'm sure i'll talk about this a little bit more in another episode mm-hmm. um, but i played and beat earthbound recently and i know that that's like a, a good game for both of you mm, yeah it's a good one i listened to the first couple press start episodes that came up for you almost immediately noah uh-huh. uh and i also listened through uh the episodes where you were playing through it tori and like both of you had a pretty good time with this game mm-hmm. yeah it was it was great i also thought it was amazing like uh this is another game that i tried to play when i was a kid and i was just like well, i don't fucking get it man yeah like especially when you're like wandering around and like going to onet and like you get up to the little meteor and they're like go back home i'm like where is the video game how do i play this thing like what what is the because like when 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 did Earthbound even come out? It was it, it was like a long time. Ago. It was the, or something? It was like shockingly late into the Super Nintendo's lifespan. Yeah, North America was 1995, which is probably about when I was playing. That's it, pretty mm-hmm. wild. It first yeah. came out in 89, but I believe that was Japan, and then in America it came mm. out in 95. It's a six year difference. Well, that was that was Mother One, so that was the precursor to Earthbound that was never okay. actually released over here until like the Wii U era. But the wild thing about Earthbound is that, like, Earthbound releases in a world where, like, Final Fantasy VI has already been out for, like, a full calendar year. And so it's like Square has just been raising the bar and raising the bar for RPGs. And then Nintendo puts out this game that, like, graphically just cannot hold a candle to the shit that Square is putting out. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really interested in knowing that like you tried playing this as a kid though and bounced off of it. I couldn't do it. Yeah, like I just didn't understand. I'd like partially that's just like I can't read very well, so yeah. I don't understand that like somebody is telling me like, okay, go back home now. And this is another game that when I was playing through it this time used a lot of a guide because there's a lot of shit in Earthbound where it's like, okay, so you remember that like place you went to 10 hours ago? (laughs) You need to go back there and talk to this one guy and he'll give you an item that can then progress you, which like is fine for me. I don't mind doing that, especially with like 
you know, very good guides out there. Mm -hmm. But I never would have been able to figure that out as a kid. Like, there's just no world where that was possible. Yeah. I also, like, at the time, I had, like, a, a game genie, which was this, like, cartridge that you would place into the SNES and, thus, and then place the SNES cartridge for whatever game you're playing on top of the game genie. And you could, like, put cheats into the video game. Mm -hmm. And so I would... I would constantly try to skip to the end of Earthbound just to like see it because that was one of the the cheats you could use and just got like my ass beat because I didn't know that like Psy was magic or something. I would just try and attack <laughs> Gigas and that would be it. I would just like lose every time. So like for most of my life, I've been like, I don't know that I like this game very much. Like little little me thought that the first person battle view was dumb and like, like mm. I can't fucking see the I can't see the enemies, dude. Like I can't see my guys. <laughs> Like, what, what is this? Final Fantasy owns. Why am I doing this? But like this time, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just clicked a lot more. And it was so it was so good. It was a really good video game, y'all. Shocking no one, but like, damn. I wonder, like, I feel like Earthbound is the kind of game that really hits you differently depending on where you're at in your life. And like, yeah, as an adult. As somebody like in your 30s and like mm -hmm. wanting to start a family, like how did it hit for you like playing as these kids, but then having these moments where like you go and talk to like their parents and they're like, yeah, or like the moments when you call your dad, like did that make you misty eyed oh, too? Man. Like, Damn. I think, yeah, so much of it definitely like hit in a different way than it probably not was intended to but just like would have hit me at the time mm -hmm. a lot of it is it, like on on first blush i'm just like god this is a, a bad place for a kid to be wandering around like just beating the shit out of like crazed adults with a bat zombies <laughs> wandering the streets of new <laughs> yeah, york city like, like holy yeah. shit yeah this Terrifying. is no good but i think like in playing it more my read of a lot of the events of this is that this is through like ness's lens of how things are happening which like doesn't doesn't hold up the whole time because like some physical things happen that I'm like okay so did like that actually happen towards the end of the game or like mm -hmm. was that a real thing that that went on but a lot of how I see the events are just like this is a kid making sense out of weird things that are happening to him mm -hmm. and that like what you're being presented to in the game is just that interpretation it's it's Ness's interpretation which is like very fun and cool I, I just recently watched uh, over the garden wall again mm. and like classic very very good and I feel like there is so much like kid logic in that show of just like how things work and like how people act around each other like when they show up to like the motel and shit like that and like everybody has a job here's the people who say what their job is and shit like that yeah, like that kind of stuff it, it it feels in line with some of the stuff that happens in Earthbound. And I think the the cool thing about Over the Garden Wall is that you see like eventually what like reality looks like. Yeah. And like how the two characters were like misinterpreting real things that were happening. Like, you know, uh, God, I can never remember the kid's name. The Elijah Woods character. Elijah Wood. Yeah. Yeah. How like he thought everybody like hated him or like nobody liked him. And like you see all these events of like everybody's like, oh, what's up, dude? Like we were just talking about you. We're so happy you're here. Or like the the like nerdy very not cool guy that he thinks is going to like hit on his girlfriend and take his girlfriend mm -hmm. and it's like he just couldn't be farther from the truth like all that kind of stuff is very helpful to see that like we not we shouldn't necessarily trust what we're seeing all the time here and that I, I think played a big part into the interpretation of like what's going on earthbound of like did they go to an alternate world where like you warp around by talking to dudes or like you know are they really beating up like zombies or anything like that or like you know does I named him something different but like did Pooh 
really come down off of a mountain to like help these kids or whatever. Yeah. So it's I, I think that was most of what it was. And the dad stuff. God, the whole time I was just like, where the fuck are you, dude? Like, go home. Hang out with your kids. Like, why are you so far away all the time? Like, yeah, just this like absent father figure sending his kid money to be like, you should take a break, dude. But like, oh, well, I'm just your dad. And like all that sort of stuff. Or I, I think you had brought this up when you had talked about it, Tori, of like the, the relationship that Ness has with his mom and like all these moments where he's like suffering physical damage from miss from missing his mom. And like the way that you solve that is by calling her. I'm like, God damn, yeah. dude, God. that is wild Dude, that hurt that hurt me a year ago and that hurts me infinitely more now <laughs> yeah definitely. i'm like oh it's it's painful i remember like as a teenager playing earthbound and earthbound for the first time for what it's for f- yeah for what it's worth and like when you would get that that note because like you you've touched on it but like for people who aren't familiar there is literally a status effect in this game that is homesickness and like yeah, yeah. it just pops up only sometimes. be cured by calling your mom yeah and mm-hmm. it's like it's just an invisible <sighs> counter it is just a dice roll that is happening behind the scenes that ticks up with a higher probability the distance of time you are from the last time you called your mom from like a payphone in game. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, like I I didn't realize that like calling her would solve it. So like once I yeah. gained the ability to like teleport, I would physically mm-hmm. go home and like because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like a lot of other RPGs. It's like the Pokemon games yeah. you know, when you visit your mom Fast and she's travel. just like yeah you fast travel home you visit your mom and she's like oh it's so good to see you why don't you take a nap and like you go home in earthbound and you see your mom and she's like go ahead go sleep at your bed i'll make you dinner and then like i I don't know like we were talking before about so many video games just like you can break them down to just like the sheer numbers but there's something Mm -hmm. so fucking special about that game and i think part of it comes from the fact that like Shigesatsu Itoi, the director of the game was like not a games guy he came from like different creative disciplines and those games just they just rip my fucking heart out like not just because there there is some really like capital s sad shit that happens in those games but like they Mm -hmm. capture this like poignant nostalgia in a way that at least when i played the first earthbound like nothing had to that point like playing it as a teenager like i got to the end of that game and i cried and i remember like yeah yeah i also cried i had never cried playing a video game before and like when we played it a Mm -hmm. year like within the last year like i cried when i beat it again too it's like there's just something so affecting about those games they also save those big punches for right at the end of the game yeah 90 percent of earthbound is like look at all this weird shit there's a guy that comes down from the ceiling and takes a picture of you every now and then Mm -hmm. aren't these people kooky and weird and then yeah just the last 10 percent, they're like oh, we're gonna fuck you up now yeah this is the part where yeah we're gonna actually punch you it's it's wild the the ending of that game really really hits yeah and it's it's cool because it's like not to be all like oh children children's children used to have it so good but like i think children's media in a lot of ways really at least popular children's media like i know there is still obviously children's media that does this but like popular children's media used to like really challenge kids and still like Mm -hmm. make them experience complicated emotions like i think a lot about like the amblin like 80s stuff which like i obviously Mm -hmm. wasn't alive for but like my dad was a dork so like i was watching that kind of, I was watching ET and I was watching that kind of shit when I was a kid yeah so it's like that's the kind of yeah. stuff that like it, it didn't it respected the children watching it enough to still let them experience complex emotions and still let yeah. them like feel hurt watching things with the knowledge that like you're in a safe place where you can experience these complex emotions mm-hmm. and like you can yeah. cry and you can hug your parents or you can hug whoever because it's just a movie and it's okay and like Earthbound and the Mother games really feel like that 
that where it's like this yeah. is a safe space where we're gonna let you feel some rough shit but like we're gonna let you feel comfortable first and we're gonna make sure you feel okay whereas like yeah i don't know like yeah. the mario movie didn't the mario movie didn't do that it was just like the closest approximation i can have to that is like inside out yeah like, i think I inside out is close yeah. is close to that i took my little cousin to inside out when it came out and like yeah it, the you know it's kind of like all the emotions are very one-dimensional but it mm -hmm. shows like riley like is shitty to her parents sometimes because she's mm -hmm. 12 and she just moved to a new place and mm -hmm. like her parents still love her even when she, even when she's a jerk to her parents. But then there's like really sad stuff like when she forgets Bong Bong and he like fucking dies forever. <laughs> The like, shit's fucked. God, like I was just talking about how fucked up that is. Like yeah. to to my wife, because like I think the the worst thing about that scene is that he like looks down at his feet like evaporating and like he's, essentially he's like Titus doing, in Final Fantasy X. I was just about to say yeah, he's being he's in the sending ceremony and he knows he's dying and he's like okay. I'm not going to make it out of here so I can at least help her. And he's like happy and joyful and like stoked to that she finally gets out. Fuck you, Bing Bong, yeah. whatever your name was. I can't handle it. Yeah. I'm like 30. I'm 32. Yeah, I know. And the next one's coming out. And in the next one, she has anxiety. Like they get to Come introduce on, mental illnesses, I guess, next time. Yeah. Like, God, I'm not ready for this. No, Damn. no, absolutely not. I wonder if my mental illness is just a little guy. I wonder if he's, I wonder if, I wish I could talk to him. Yeah. Be like, cool, yeah. cool out, cool off, dude. Yeah. Could we like just chill for a second? I would <laughs> love to like take a plane ride and that be a normal thing that I can just do without having to like medicate myself. That would be so awesome yeah aye, aye, aye. anyway earthbound was really good i want to bring it up again but just like wanted to talk to people who i knew also yeah liked earthbound i'm glad to yeah. hear you enjoyed it i'm really glad to hear you enjoyed it especially since like yeah I, I i mean i could talk for another hour about earthbound and i won't but like yes yeah talk about generational differences like it's really interesting to me to hear that like this is a game that you like organically tried as a kid whereas like for mm -hmm. me my only exposure to the series was like ness is a guy in super smash brothers and i yes. literally have, like, me too <laughs> i wanted to have an encyclopedic understanding of where all the super smash brothers characters came from and also this mm -hmm. came right at the time when like i was really delving into like snes emulation and n64 emulation yeah. to kind of like fill the gaps of things that i didn't know from my own childhood and so like mm -hmm. trying to play emulated earthbound on like the family laptop when i was in eighth grade and then eventually playing it on cartridge when i was like 14 and so it's yeah. it's really neat to hear that like it's a game that you tried bounced off of and then eventually returned to and really loved and just yeah. like your nephew tori who who discovered mario through the mario movie like all roads <laughs> lead back to this kind of stuff it's just a matter of how we get there you know yeah mm -hmm. Hell yeah, video games. Typically something that we do in this this part of the episode is that we talk about a podtomistic thing, which is just something that you're vibing on right now. And again, guest rights. If either of you want to go first, feel free. Yeah, you've been thinking about this all day. I was like at my job, just like sitting at work, thinking like, <laughs> what's my pontimistic thing going to be later? Um, yeah. Mm. But I think I settled on it and I think this will dovetail nicely into like the discussion we're about to have about Onimusha. Yeah. I think my pontimistic thing for the week is remastered video games that let you experience the game, not just mm. how the developers want you to remember it, but how the experience yeah. actually was. And like, yeah, totally. not to, you know, not to dip too much into the Onimusha discussion, but like mm -hmm. before I eventually played this game on the Nintendo Switch, as I know the two of us did, mm -hmm. for the, all three of us did for this discussion. But before I did that, I went to my local video game store and I called them up and I was like, do you guys have a copy of Onimusha for the PS2? And they were like, yeah, we do. And then I drove by and picked it up and no 
nobody asked why I was so interested in playing Onimusha, which kind of upset me. And so <laughs> I came home and I started playing it and I was like, oh, this game has tank controls. Like it oh, had, yeah, so I played like the first 30 minutes on my PS2 mm-hmm. and then I switched to the Switch after that. And one of the interesting things about it is that like the Switch version, if you use the joystick, lets you use just like normal 3D movement controls. And then the Mm D-pad buttons on the Joy-Cons let you do the original tank controls. Whereas in the PS2 version, the joysticks don't do shit. You are stuck with, you are stuck with tank controls. And like, (laughs) I thought it was just really special that like, that is a game that was intended to be played with tank controls. Like it, Mm -hmm. it was clearly built for a D-pad movement, but like, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really cool that they not only let me experience it in a way that like ostensibly had a better quality of life than the original one, Mm -hmm. but also like was how the game originally played. And I think so many remakes... Like I was just, I just saw earlier today that like a uh, Resident Evil Four remake is like up for Game of the Year at the Game Awards this year, and like one yeah. of the things I heard a lot about that game, which I did not play, was that like it it helped people play that game and see it in a way that they remembered playing it in the two thousands mm-hmm. for the first time, and I think there is definitely space for that kind of a remake. Like I think that's really cool, mm-hmm. but also yeah. I think yeah. since gaming is a medium that historically has like really bad archiving and like a very very yeah. bad institutional memory, I think it's really cool when remakes from companies like big companies that would stand to put out a more polished product are just like this is how this PS2 game played, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I also like when games factor in just like, maybe you don't want it to be quite as shitty as it was, but you can play it like that if you want to. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the, uh, I played through, was it final, the original final fantasy seven, a couple of years ago on switch. And then also played through final fantasy nine on switch as well. And I don't remember if nine has it, I think they do, but there's a couple of like options that you can use on those games where it makes battling like significantly faster than it normally is. Mm-hmm. Or you can have like, I have my ultimate gauge always charged or I heal 9,999 damage every time or something like that. Right. Which is kind of a similar tact to like here. We recognize what the cruft of this game was in the beginning, which for Final Fantasy games is like grinding and having to backtrack and do all these random battles and shit like that. And you can make that a lot easier on yourself if you want to, which I like love Mm -hmm. because I love those games a lot. But it is kind of challenging to be like, okay, I do want to see the end of this game, but like, do I have 60 hours for a game made in 1998? Yeah. I don't know. Like I could just play persona four again and that would be like amazing or I can grind for 40 hours in this other one. So it's really nice to be able to like experience that stuff yeah. without having to deal with the the pain of the time. Yeah. It's actually in a similar vein. Like when you play earthbound on the switch, there's like that rewind feature of switch mm. online games, mm-hmm. which like yes, at yeah. first I felt like it was cheating. I was like, Oh, I died and I rewound and then I made a different choice. But I'm also like, I can, and this makes me less annoyed at the game. So like, yes, you yeah. know, it's, it's not cheating. It's fine. In a similar vein. So like my family is really big on, Christmas list. Mm-hmm. Like my family is very like I I'm learning that this is very unusual. So growing up, we were told like after Halloween, stop buying things for yourself. 
It's Christmas hmm. time. So if a game came out after like Halloween, like, sorry, bud, like you better put it yeah. on your Christmas list. And I also come from a family. This is another thing that plays into this. I also come from a family with a lot of December and January birthdays, mm. which oh, I think is yeah. why my parents were so like, do not fucking buy yourself anything. You're going to blow it. Yeah, yeah, because they had not one, but two things to buy. Both my brother and I have close to Christmas birthdays. So they were like, oh, stop no. it. So this is extended into adulthood. Now I have I have a nephew with a December birthday. My dad also mm. has a December birthday. It's it's just it's never ending. And so. I I had to I had to submit my Christmas list as a as a 24 year old adult. Yeah. And I am realizing that every game I asked for on my Christmas list is a remake or a port. Hell yeah. And I actually really like that. So for context, I mm. asked for Super Mario RPG, the mm. Final Fantasy Pixel like collection, mm. and uh the Metal Gear Solid collection. Um all for Switch, I believe. And I think it's so cool that a lot of those games I wasn't like able to um legally access uh for a long time and i get to just have all of those games on mm-hmm. the switch for f- like that's crazy yeah it's wild my my optimistic thing i guess is like how the switch has become the like console of archiving old games mm-hmm. for the most part Real quick, I want to share, this is not really, I guess in a way this is about archiving old games, but I I was at a wedding this past weekend from when we're recording this for one of my partner's cousins and like... Mm -hmm. She has she has a handful of cousins and like all of them were at this wedding and I've met all of them at least once at this point. And there's a few of them that like we've joked that you meet people sometimes when they're like 18 and it just does Mm -hmm. not seem like they have fully formed brains. And it like it's you joke about it, but it's like they don't have fully formed brains. And then you meet them again when they're in like their early or mid 20s. And it's like you're a human being now that I can like carry on a conversation with. And so like her youngest cousin is kind of at that point now like i i was able to interact with him in a way that like the last time i saw him like i just didn't really talk to him and part of that is that he was 21 now and kind of drunk so like we were having we were having like a a longer conversation than like we literally ever had and there was a moment where it was like it was like midnight he had to get up early the next morning and so he was leaving the after party but and so he he like went to like give me a hug and say like hey it was nice talking to you and he he looked down Mm -hmm. and i was wearing my denim jacket which has a foxhound patch on the one arm and like Mm -hmm. this is somebody who like all of our conversations had been about like family stuff or like him telling me I just had rum for the first time and I thought it was pretty good (laughs) and then he sees my foxhound patch and he was like I like your patch and I was like thanks and I had a split second where I was like does he think I'm in like a right wing militia or something and then he was like (laughs) he was like which one's your favorite and I was like MGS2 is probably my favorite and he was like oh man I haven't gotten that one yet but I've played three and five and I was like I just had like this Mm -hmm. tender moment with like uh my partner's cousin who like yeah. before this day i had only exchanged like maybe 15 words with over just like video game paraphernalia and like i know that if i was too young to be playing mgs3 on the playstation 2 this kid who turned 21 a week before this wedding definitely was too young to be playing yes, mgs3 yeah. on the ps2 so yeah i'm with you tori like it's really special that it's like we can bond over these games no matter like where we played them and even if the ports are subpar sometimes like i've heard those mgs ports are it is still at least like opening the door for people to experience this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. fuck yeah video games video games they're so cool real quick i want to share my optimistic thing this week please which is it's a good parry everybody a good parry in a video game there's just nothing quite like it and Mm. uh in the game that we're going to talk about here in a second there's a very good parry 
like the screen like flashes like anime white for a second yeah samanosuke uh, moves like the speed of light and comes around somebody and just like cuts them in half it's a one hit kill amazing amazing that always feels just so good great great parries in a lot of games i feel like bloodborne comes to mind for a good parry oh. any of the dark souls games they all get that's right dread also yes yeah totally true the uh that that one and i think samus returns i think had one too where she mm. kind of like whips her arm up and that like parries people good as hell really really good which hey why don't we talk about the main game that we came here to talk about shall we yes yeah let's do it So Onibusha. Yes, this fucking video game. Also, hey, welcome to Good Games. It's a segment where we talk about the okayest games of yesteryear <laughs> and gush all the things that we love about them. Tori, a, a thing that happens a lot of the time is that I jump scare David with this segment. We'll usually sit around and talk for a little while. I, I kind of like being on the receiving end of <laughs> being jump scared yeah, like, by oh, my Usha. own segment. You're like, oh. Let's talk about this fucking video game. <laughs> Can I just say yeah. that like... As as somebody who really enjoys video game podtimism as a podcast, mm-hmm. it's a, it feels really special to like uh, to hear, hey, it's good games, and like I'm ready to talk about a good game. I'm ready to talk yeah. about the okayest game that I played this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it's exciting, and I, I will say that this one's probably on the the farther end of the scale of games that like are actually kind of good, mm-hmm. but like a good B. It, it, for for the game that we're talking yeah. about today yeah i i was th- i had i kept having a thought as i was playing this game yeah which was that like we have we have games that are great and we have mm-hmm. games that are bad mm-hmm. and we have games that were supposed to be really good but then ended up being mid which is kind of like the worst of them all it's yeah tough, yeah and this game is like it strove to be a b and it was a b yeah you're like <laughs> i really respect that and i also don't think they i also don't think they make games like that anymore more. I don't think so. It's it's very much like it feels like kind of a mid-budget title where they were like, I don't know, let's make Resident Evil, but like in samurai, samurai time. Yeah. yeah. And let's I, like, see if that works. I like how they play kind of fast and loose with some of the theming because I was <laughs> yes, expecting yeah. like Onimusha, okay, it's going to be like very feudal Japan, which it is, but there's also like a Frankenstein ass plot in the middle <laughs> of it. And like, you're like, okay. Yeah. And it's amazing. there's some earthworm gym looking ass enemies too. And you're <laughs> yeah, like, they really are. okay. Talking to, talking about the the Reynaldos. Yeah, yeah. So I really like knowing too that like this game was born out of like some of the guys who worked on Resident Evil being like, yes, yeah. You know what would be really cool, man, is if like Resident <laughs> Evil but samurai. Like that's that's but where this, that is one hundred. That, that, that is the most that is where this like from. yes, yeah. Weed and Mountain Dew code red fueled. <laughs> yeah. Idea, bro. It'd be so cool if it was Ninja. <laughs> What if Claire Redfield had a samurai sword, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's yeah. Let me uh, let me set the stage for this this discussion a little bit with a, a couple of hot stats about this video game, oh, just so we yeah. can we're all be on the it's, I'll be on the same it's same the, part uh, here. The hot stats, yeah. Hot stats, hot stats. Okay, so Onimusha, this video game, uh, came out January 25th of 2001 for the PlayStation 2. This was originally planned for the uh, the N64DD, uh, standing for Disk Drive, which was this like short-lived Japan-only expansion for the N64 that like would let you use discs because they were like, man, I don't know if we can do this on cartridges and shit. And then for a moment moved on to being a PS2 game or a PS1 game and then finally arriving and being like, okay, this is actually going to be a PlayStation 2 game, which 
uh, just for context, the PS2 came out in North America in October of 2000. So that was like not that long after the console actually shipped that they put this game out too, which is bananas given some of the like graphical stuff that is going on in this game. But we'll, we'll get there. This was made, of course, by Capcom, who makes like thousands of video games. But I think the uh, important stuff to note is that this was produced by Keiji Inafune, who's this like kind of legendary Capcom producer um, who did like most of the Mega Man games, like produced most of the Mega Man games. It was like the base version, X, Legends, my beloved Battle Network. And he also produced the Minish Cap and uh, Resident Evil 4. Um, It was also directed, I know, with the fucking lineup behind that That, dude. That's a a crazy ass lineup. And then he made Mighty Number 9, which was... A challenging video game. <laughs> it was also directed by uh, Jun Takauchi, who like also worked on the Resident Evil games. And like you'll see a lot of the staff that was on the Resident Evil projects also on this one. So like there's clearly an influence uh, from that game. And I think that's like obvious if you play it or have like seen a Resident Evil. I do have a review of this game by the outlet PSX Extreme, <laughs> uh, which is a outlet Love that name, which I was not familiar with. I took their review and ran it through Google Translate a number of times to mm. uh, mangle it and fuck it up real good uh, to get like an, a nice artist interpretation of what they thought about this game. Oh, I'm um, so excited. So let me, I'll, I'll, I'll read that for you now. Ultimately, I wouldn't worry about what I was saying about buying Oni Mushis. <laughs> Maybe the game will reach the 1 million mark sale in the US and eventually Japan. This is the truth. All players are encouraged to leave Oni Musho as soon as possible. We recommend that you order this game immediately. Now, (laughs) if the Japanese version is any indication of the strength of the American version, it would definitely be a video game. I should also mention how much Capcom spent on Oni Musho's marketing campaign, TV, print ads, online advertising, and even TV. We are sure that gamers of all genres, especially Resident Evil ones, will love mm-hmm. this classic game for its stunning visuals and impressive Oni Musho gameplay. <laughs> so wait for Oni Musho over, <laughs> and the wait for Demon Might Sad now begins. And they gave that a nine out of ten. <laughs> That's amazing. It. Yeah. I think that Demon Might Sad is a reference to Devil May Cry. I'm not positive about that, but that's my best guess. I really like... Demon Might Sad. (laughs) Wow, what a name. They're really, you know, they were right about one thing, and it's that this game does have Onimusha-style gameplay. It really does. Yeah, they deliver on that promise. (laughs) You know what's crazy? So, like, I, again, like, Noah and I have talked extensively about how insanely fucking stacked 2001 was, like, as a year for games, like Final Fantasy X and, like, Eco and Mm. Halo and MGS2. This game also came out in 2001, and Devil May Cry also came out in 2001 and so it just keeps getting progressively more stacked like yeah it's it's interesting because we're living through a year right now 2023 where like the discourse Mm. is like the best year in gaming question mark and like yeah we've had some great games but 2001 managed to have like 20 good games and this year's had like 10 good games and we're like best year in gaming of all time i'm like i don't know man you see these years pop up every now and then where it's just like how the fuck did this all come out in the same spot Mm -hmm. yeah but like also the commitment of how long it takes to make a video game was so much shorter at the time yeah it's true Um, you had people just like running through video games like yeah i don't think this is going to take all that long like that's not the rule there are definitely situations where like games took years and years and years and years to make but like the example of and and this 
isn't a good workplace, but like the difference between Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask coming out within like, what is it, a year or two of one another? Yeah. yeah. Like, of course, that sounds like there was an, an enormous amount of just like terrible crunch, but like it would be impossible for Nintendo to say like, hey, the ne- the sequel to Tears of the Kingdom is coming out next year. It would be like, what the fuck happened? How is that? Like, there's no <laughs> world where that's the case. Yeah. yeah. And so like just the, the investment of time, I think, was so much lower, um, especially for a game that like, you, you know, it took us like, what, four or five hours to beat it. Yeah. I, it's a sh- that's another thing that surprised me about this game is how short it was. When Chase posted that he'd beaten <laughs> it in like three and a half hours, my first thought was like, oh, he speed ran. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, Chase has probably played this game 300 times and like knows all yeah, of yeah. the spots lots of like speedrunner but then like i beat it in less than five so like this actually yeah. like genuinely is a short game and i was thinking about this too because like imagine a game this short now like imagine mm-hmm. paying 70 dollars for a ps5 game that can be total like cover to cover story like basically platformed in five hours i feel like people mm-hmm. would hate that they'd be like i spent 70 dollars on this like i don't know like yeah i mean this, this is to say game like, games have always been expensive relative to like mm-hmm. the currency of the time like i saw i saw someone like compared the price of certain n64 games in the 90s to now and like adjusted for inflation some of those games are actually like 80 dollars yeah and 2023 dollars yeah. yeah. like james so james games have never been cheap <laughs> james has been so expensive forever <laughs> games have never been cheap but i also feel like That's we true. just don't have that type of tolerance for a game this short from a large publisher if that makes any sense yeah yeah a lot a lot of the reviews did call that out of like being like this is awfully short for a video game and so like it i feel like people talked about it at the time but it it, in hindsight it's very bizarre this is something that david and i talk about a lot because like both of our appetites for long games is just so small i like i don't really want to play a hundred hour game very often you know and so like and so as I'm sure, especially after you guys' Final Fantasy X uh, experience, mm-hmm. yeah. that was probably a salve. Yeah, it was. It was, but I was still like, oh my God, only five Quite hours? Quite short. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a bummer that like games are so expensive. Like I would be remiss to say that like, you know, everything's that expensive. And like it, it, it is cheaper on the Switch, I will say. But like it's it does oftentimes get in the way of like, is this game good or not? Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it does often comes down to like the the balance of like, was this worth it, you know, like monetarily, which is is challenging just because like I, I, the money oftentimes just like warps my brain of like, was that good or like, did I like that enough That's for it true. to be like, you know, yeah. this yeah. amount of money? Like a game you get on Black Friday at the eShop, if it kind of sucks, but you only paid you only paid $10 for it. You're like, that was a pretty good yeah. game. But if you bought that yeah. game yeah, full yeah. price, $70, you'd be like, this game fucking sucked. Like, mm-hmm. I wasted money. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a shitty relationship to have with media, too, to be like, <laughs> yeah. I have to get yeah. $60 worth out of this. Whereas, like, I don't know, if I check out a book from the library and I don't like it that much, I'm just going to return it to the library. And it's like, you know, no harm, no foul. But, like, if I spend yeah. MSRP on a video game and I don't like it, that's like a lot of money that I'm not getting back unless yeah. I sell that bad boy on eBay. And I like I, I think a lot of this, like a lot of things comes down to uh, like, I, I wish the game preservation was just better. Yeah. Because like if if there was a library for video games that you could just like go check Onimusha out at, I bet our conversations about video games and about like the, the quality of them would change a little bit yeah. because it would just mean that games that are really new are kind of expensive and like, okay, that's fine. 
And like the the longer that games go on, like the more somebody who is just getting into it would be like, hey, I've never played Persona 4. Like, let me go check that out from the library and check it out. Yeah. Versus like having to pay 60, 70 whole dollars on the Switch to be like, do I like this or not? Like, maybe you don't like very good games about high school and the the other world. But, you know, it's it. it yeah, it, it complicates the situation. I wish that, I wish games were just preserved better. I wish they were, too. But I'm glad that Onimusha was preserved enough that we could play it. For yes. This. Yeah. Top level. Just like how, how do how do y'all feel about this one? It was fun. The combat took a little bit of getting used to mm-hmm. because I need a dodge roll. And there yes. is not that. <laughs> there's and no, it there's really no bothers roll. me. That that part really bothered me at first. But I was like, all right, this, this mm-hmm. is a block and parry game I see. Or what I would do is when like a guy would swing a big sword, I would just run around and hit him in the butt. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So once I got into that, I was like, okay, 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 I get this, I get this. And it was fun. I actually love the puzzle parts of this game. Yes, there yeah. is a, I love the treasure boxes where you have to like do the first row of numbers mm-hmm. like one two three four very fun I love I love yeah. the puzzle there was one part about this game that I you never get to a frustrating part where you're like I admire this like I'm yelling at the TV <laughs> but like I admire this you really committed yeah. to it a bit and this part happens like somewhat early in the game you and Kaide mm-hmm. do this like back and forth puzzle sequence where you're like pulling <laughs> levers to get to another room Yes. And yeah. Then you have an unskippable cutscene, and then you have to walk across these tiles where, like, the other <laughs> tiles on the floor open up like trapdoors. Yeah. If you fall through, it's game over. You have to do That's the it. previous yeah. puzzle sequence and do the unskippable cutscene again, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not over. After you go through that room, you go, like, Samanosuke gets, like, Indiana Jones trapped in a room with, like, <sighs> rising yeah. water. And you have exactly three minutes to solve this, like, puzzle by like it's like a sliding tile sliding puzzle. tiles on a wall and like <laughs> if you don't do it in three minutes you get game over and you have to do everything i just mentioned yes. with all those unskippable <laughs> cutscenes all Hellish. over again and i i was in that hell for an hour and i was like uh, annoyed oh but God. i was like i i was like i fucking love this like <laughs> it's it, it was like it was a little masochistic of me i was mm-hmm. like i i love what they're doing here and i eventually got through it after like a number seven or whatever again not something i think you would see it in the like if if onimusha was made in 2023 there would be Mm. auto saves after every single time you entered a room so like you would never have to do any of those puzzles a second time you know Mm -hmm. like that's a that's a unique brand of suffering (laughs) that happened that was necessary and the memory card save point era and i Mm -hmm. i have no no choice but to respect it really built tension yeah. in that section. Now, I was going to say, talk about stuff I really respected in this game. Like, the first time that you lose the ability to control badass samurai Samanosuke, who is wielding, like, <laughs> the demon gauntlet that allows him to, s- <laughs> to slurp up the souls of demons after they die <laughs> so that he can upgrade shit. Like, you then take control of Kaide, this, like, badass ninja who does not have a gauntlet that lets her slurp up demon souls and is equipped with just like a knife and some kunai and that's it Mm -hmm. and i was really blown away the first time that happened by like the way it recontextualized like basic enemy encounters that i had kind of started to just like breeze through like yeah now all of a sudden the the weird zombie demons 
who move really slow and only took you like four hits to kill with Samanosuke take like 20 and take like a huge chunk of your health bar if you get hit because Kaide is like not imbued with demonic power to help her beat these guys. (laughs) And that was another one of those things that was like, I, it kept making me kept making me think of like all the reviews when the the Spider-Man PS4 game came out where people were like I hate mm-hmm. the Mary Jane segments I hate the Mary Jane segments and then like I haven't played mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2 yet but I keep hearing that they kind of doubled down on them and like there are yeah. there are just as many of them and like this time she has a gun question mark like yeah it's, but, it's like an, a, a, a taser that she gets that's awesome but like I think it's really ballsy that the game so much of this game is like you control a badass you control this like really mm-hmm. dope cool guy who kills d- demons in a really neat way and then like kind of rips that out from underneath you for like puzzle solving yeah. sequences i kept thinking about like what if like the ps2 god of war games did that like i can't <laughs> i can't even conceptualize that a little bit like i thought it yeah. was really cool they definitely have stuff that they want to do and they're not going to compromise on that mm-hmm. in this game like with the puzzle sections with the kd sections like you're gonna play it you don't have a choice you don't have a skip this this part of the game yeah uh button but i think it is aided by the fact that it is pretty short in that way that like those sections are you know 15 20 minutes they're not that long yeah. to begin with and so it does allow you to feel less powerful for a moment and then be like fuck yeah dude it's Samonosuke time i got my swords back let's mm-hmm. go which is really satisfying it's like the same sort of feeling when in breath of the wild when you go to that like island way off the main continent and it like takes all your items away yeah and the challenge of it is to just like redo the loop of breath of the wild right at the beginning of the game where it's like i have nothing and i have to make this work it's a similar sort of thing where it's like they they induce a certain amount of powerlessness on you which then like recontextualizes your your relationship with the game all of a sudden which is like cool that's a cool move that they're able to do yeah it's like kaide is kind of like hard mode and they always bring her out at these moments when you've had enough time to upgrade your weapons or go through some Mm -hmm. sort of challenge you're like this game's easy and then it's like guided time like she (laughs) has no I mean, I guess you can kind of block things, but mm-hmm. she's like her defense. She's not wearing armor. Yeah, yeah. She has a little dagger. It's, it's just much harder to navigate. And also, like sometimes when you're Samonosuke, you get lucky if you like parry yes, yeah. or like crit or whatever. And like if you mm-hmm. kill them with one hit, you like if you soul suck, sometimes you get some HP out of that. Yeah. yeah. And with Kaide, like you don't get that. You don't. <laughs> yeah. But then like so you you're kind of on your own when it comes to healing but also Mm. this game has limited healing items it's crazy so Mm -hmm. there is times when i'm like i don't want to waste a medicine on kaide Mm -hmm. but it's also like okay well kaide is like one hit away from dying i need to get her from i need to get her from point a to point b and like okay i guess she has to take the herb or whatever (laughs) like it just it sucks and i got really good at just getting her to run around enemies Mm -hmm. because i was like this this medicine's for Samonosuke. And like, I, I, I came to this area where you, after a long sequence of playing as Kaide, you switch over to Samonosuke. She, t- she, t- she like takes a boat over to like a particular part of the castle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Samonosuke's in there. And then you switch to Samonosuke at whatever health you had him at previous. So like he could be... <laughs> 
fucking 80% dead, which was my case. Mm-hmm. And you face this boss who was like a giant insect lady. Yeah. Yeah. Who is like almost impossible to like hit physically unless she's like about to attack you. Yeah. It's really hard. And so it's moments like that where I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, Kaida. Like, you're just going to have to like cope. Like, you cannot have this medicine. <laughs> Because Samanosuke needs it. So there, it was just interesting moments of like rationing healing items between two mm-hmm. almost dead characters and just like passing the baton. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. I, I think it's like it's it's a interesting approach because in Resident Evil, which I'm also like a, a huge fan of. I, I haven't said it yet, but I played this when it came out and I loved this fucking video game. I was cool. crazy about it. Yeah. But part of the balance of a Resident Evil game is the, the survival part of the survival horror in that they give you some ammo and some healing items and then you have to balance like okay do i have enough ammo to get through this section and like do the thing that i need to do or do i need to just like run from these guys or, or anything like that but in this game like ain't no ammo for for a katana man like samanosuke is gonna swing all the time he never stops constantly constantly swinging and they have to double down on the health being the thing that you have to like manage and so I feel like you feel it pretty acutely in those moments where you're like, I got one herb and I'm about to fight like a boss. Like, this is tough. I really got to like figure out what to do here, which is it, it can be cool. I suppose that can be frustrating, but I think it also helps that like there are parts of this game that are a little bit easier. So you kind of mm-hmm. get like a break from those moments where you're like rationing the last leaf of an herb to, to heal yourself versus like just running through the same like mobs of guys and and you know getting all your souls and stuff i was really looking forward to this part of the conversation because like chase from listening to podtimism mm-hmm. like i know i know you're really into resident evil and tori i know that uh, you haven't really played a ton of resident evil but you've seen a lot of resident evil the thing i came away from this game and like full transparency i made it to the final boss i have not beaten the final boss I will at some point, but I know you guys like Mm. beat him, beat him, and I didn't quite clear him, but that's okay. I've made peace with that. Like, (laughs) there were a lot of parts in this game that made me feel like a total badass as Samonosuke, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I was kind of under the impression that like the Resi games like don't really do that. Like, Mm -hmm. is this, does this game stray from the survival horror since like you don't have to worry about ammo and since like Samonosuke can parry everything and is also like a badass samurai? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that translate? over from Resident Evil. Yeah, I think Resident Evil a lot of those games exist on a scale in in like in themselves of and I, I talked about this when I played like most of the series last year where all of them have a balance between horror and action, right? So Resident Evil 1 is like almost purely a survival horror game where it's like you are mostly just trying to survive and get from one thing to the next, especially the remake that came out on GameCube mm-hmm. where like they have emphasized the like fixed camera angle shit to such a degree where it's like they're constantly trying to make you feel afraid huh. of like, look at this angle of Jill through this one broken window. And then you run down a hallway and it's like you're in the corner of uh, the the room and you can kind of see her just wandering down this like hallway and it's in- intended to make it be like, wow, this place sucks. It's very scary. And like I, I should be fearful while I'm in here. A lot of like blind corners where you'll come around something. It'll just be like a zombie back there. Yeah. And in fact, the first encounter you have with a zombie in that game, you like come around a corner going left and then you turn a a corner going and see this zombie like eating some guy. And it's like a very famous Resident Evil scene where a zombie like turns his head and it's all spooky. Yeah. And the thing that you would probably naturally do is Jill is back up 
right? Like just try and put some distance between you and the zombie. And if you do that, it changes the camera angle to where you can't see him anymore, which I I realize can be kind of a frustrating experience. But I think what the game is doing really gracefully there is like showing you that it's not only the video game, but like the actual experience you're having is supposed to scare you and disorient you in a way that like really works for me. But the farther you go along in the series, the more that scale bends towards action. And especially by the time you get to Resident Evil 4, which is just like, it is scary and there are very frightening moments in that game, but it is mostly like a shooting game, you know? Hmm. And I th- I think they eventually, they they turn into the dog that does catch the car with Resident Evil 6, where it's like, that's, that's, just, a, that's just a full-blown shooter. And then they kind of get that that reset with seven where they go back to it being very scary and you see a little bit that with that with village too but to answer your question a little bit more directly i think this one is farther along that scale on the action parts of it but they try to change how the horror is communicated yeah i think a lot of the horror in resident evil games is like there's one shambling monster that is coming after you and you don't have the resources to fight it a lot of the horror here is like it a lot of this game takes place in like the daytime or in very well lit rooms. You just get to see like, wow, this place is fucked up. And there's a lot of like viscera and like monster stuff in here or, you know, like scary demon guys wandering around or you can see, Oh God, what's his name? Is it Gogan Dantis? No, uh, Gildenstern, the like demon scientist who is like just a real hoot. I love this dude. He, if you listen to the English voiceover, he's just bananas. He's hysterical. Yeah. I operated on and resurrected the pitiful Nobunaga after he was killed in Okihazuma. He then made a pact with the demons and pledged his eternal loyalty to serve us forever as our slave. No! Oh, yes, it is indeed true. Now, let me show you my most recent creation. Go, Renato! Bite the belly of that maggot and feast upon his bloody flesh! <laughs> and, like, wandering into a room with him... Like the horror of it is like, what is uh, this is like a very scary situation that I've been put into, but I think it does offer more power and like leverage against those situations by having Samanosuke being like tough and like kind of cool. He's like kind of cool. He's kind of cool, dude. He could, he could have easily been like show an anime shitty kid, but he's like kind of quiet and like tough and like gets pissed and is like, let's just like beat these demons ass. Like that's what's going to happen. So yeah, I, I think it, it, the balance of it is different than a Resident Evil game normally would be, but it is coded in the same kind of like aesthetic that a Resident Evil game would yeah. have for a lot of the stuff. Yeah, everything that everything that Chase said. And also like it takes place in a different sort of time period than Resident Evil. Like that's that kind of goes without saying, but like Resident Evil has like a kind of modern day or at least for the time feel correct. Mm-hmm, um yeah. And this is kind of taking it back to like feudal Japan. And so the way people dress, the way people interact with each other, the fact that like afterward in the epilogue spoilers, um, the princess goes like on a journey to see the world and they they lead these lives afterward. They're just like, I just go back to this village and then my castle falls and I just go to this other village mm-hmm. instead of like, you have saved the president's daughter, you know, like (laughs) raccoon um, city is nuked. Yeah. Yeah. It it just goes back to being like, I am in my family's home and I am, I am with my brother. Like, I think that's interesting. Like what constitutes a happy ending. Also the fact Mm -hmm. that Seminosuke, everyone being like, I don't know what happened to that guy. (laughs) And it just like ends that way. And we're just like all supposed to be okay with that. And I think that's just very much like the fact that it's taking 
from Japanese mythology and legend. Like, he's mm-hmm. just a legendary dude who became the Onimusha, went, like, fucking berserk and killed a demon, and, like, that's yeah. it. And we're all okay with that, you know? Whereas I feel like Resident Evil yeah. endings are more, like, buttoned up, so Yeah, they are, and they're, they're so much more oriented towards, like, action, too. I think, like, most of the Resident Evil games, like, by the time you get to the end of those games, they're just, like, a different kind of video game. Like, in the beginning, it's so much just, like, I've got three bullets and, and, a, and a shambling horror coming down the the hallway and at the end it's like you have a rocket launcher that you need to shoot at a big bad guy and that's the end of it i think the an interesting holdover from that resident evil formula you guys are talking about is the the fact that this game does the fixed camera angles too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. considering i largely found the fixed camera angles to just be a hurdle i had to overcome in this game yeah Mm -hmm. and not really used in a way to like frame things other than like the occasional like uh, that that first boss fight you have with like the big demon guy with the big axe and he can like knock you over Mm -hmm. with it like you're in a square stadium type room basically and there's a circle thing in the middle so you're kind of moving in a circle around this square and there are like four different fixed camera angles and The only reason for that really just felt like so that the camera was another obstacle you had to overcome. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. it never really made me feel powerless and it never really made me feel like scared. It was more just like, oh, if I take three steps back that far, then it's going to be off camera. So I need to like bait him over here so that I can actually see (laughs) him moving. But it's interesting to know that like the Resident Evil games were so much better about utilizing that fixed camera angle to to like a, a in interesting gameplay and storytelling degree yeah i i i like i'm kind of a a pro fixed camera angle guy Mm -hmm. in the right circumstances Mm. because like yeah in in this situation it kind of doesn't make sense to have it here because most of the time that i come around a corner and a dude hits me that i didn't see my reaction is like damn it and then i just like kill him you know like it happens immediately and it's almost like a mistake rather than like oh my god, I didn't see the zombie behind that corner. I need to like turn right around and run away. And like you you see that utilized too in like the very first scene of Silent Hill 1 where you're playing as Harry in Silent Hill 1 and like end up in Silent Hill and you're just like wandering through these streets and these alleys and there's like this kind of just like droning sound that keeps getting louder and louder and louder and you're going through these increasingly like terrifying alleyways and at some point the camera angles start like fucking with you where you if you're running forward as Harry it starts like looking at him front on and the camera sort of like pulls back and up away from him and then twists the camera to like uh, to see him down the hallway as he runs away which like just adds to this like disorienting feeling of like what the fuck is going on in this video game right now like i'm losing my touch on even the way that i expected the game to move in the first place weird whereas in action games it's like i kind of don't need that like that doesn't really add a lot to samonosuke like beating ass you know yeah that was the thing with it it was just like it didn't really do much in that way it mm-hmm. was just kind of like i round the corner and and this is what i was touching on before with like this is a game that was meant to be played with tank controls because it does that tank mm-hmm. control thing where like when the perspective shifts you keep moving in the direction that you're holding the joystick like yeah. so if you're pushing forward when you cross over the threshold to a new camera angle even if you're now coming towards the camera as long as you keep holding forward you're going to keep going the direction you intended to whereas like Mm 
mm-hmm. and that makes that makes sense to me if I'm thinking of it like a joystick or like a D-pad and I'm pressing up on it but as a joystick mm-hmm. I had a harder time wrapping my head around that and so I would do this thing a lot where like I would cross over to a new camera angle and then stop moving and then reorient myself and then keep moving but I also just have like a lot yeah. less experience with these types of games with the fixed camera angles and the tank controls and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Totally. What else about this video game? Uh, just like total nonsense. I love to dress up in video games. I love it when a sword gets cooler when you level it up. Yeah. Yeah. I also love the armor. Oh my god. It looks so sick. The it armor you so get cool. behind the waterfall. Mm-hmm. It's like holy, holy armor. armor. Yeah. Yeah. There was armor so behind the waterfall. Damn. This might be why Fortinbras is kicking your ass so hard. Did you get the demon sword, Noah? Is that the one you get from doing all of the like gauntlet, the like the gauntlet Challenge. run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I when, when Gollum. When when Gollum asks you to like go to the dark realm he's like oh hello would you like to go to yeah. the dark realm nah I like I did that a little bit and I got the I got the fucking in-game achievement that was like you did it you reached halfway and then I kept dying mm. and I was like fuck this man I don't need this demon sword <laughs> but um I am I, I am at the final boss in the armor that I started the game in so I'm I'm now realizing <laughs> that maybe, maybe I might have missed oh, an item no. along the way perhaps you missed two there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's two entry level armor yeah. then there's like the second level armor and then there's like holy armor oh so like yeah you've missed like two different armors that like this game is probably hard as fuck for you Noah. that explains why the final boss had this move where he like picks you up and just like spits fire on you and he did it to me one time when i had a full health bar and it killed me instantly and i was like oh that does that does kill you oh okay i was gonna I say i was gonna say a few times even still like the fight before him with uh with marcellus like he had some moves marcellus, he had some moves that where, dark like, he, souls ass fight yeah that was that, a dark yeah. souls ass fight he would hit me twice and it would knock out half my health bar so i was like what am i doing here gotta get some new armor man. that's what i was doing there yeah i uh i love that all the all the like kept demon characters are just hamlet characters yeah yeah Gordon literally Storm, Bross, reynaldo and marcellus like what the fuck are we doing what are we this? doing yeah. It, yeah talk about like mixing themes and mixing metaphors and shit like yeah it doesn't serve a purpose. Like, there's no Hamlet in this video game. Mm-mm. Yeah, I just Mm-mm. think whoever made this game just, like, really liked 10th grade English. And they were like, yes, Frankenstein, yeah. Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And they're like, these, these are the only two books. And um, <laughs> I'm surprised Samonosuke didn't have, like, a big scarlet A that he was wearing around most of this <sighs> game. Just, like, cuz. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, as somebody who has played a lot of video games that take place in or around this period of Japanese history when I saw that opening mm-hmm. cutscene and like let me tell you that opening cutscene fucking ruled like I watched it on the yeah, PS2 it does, it does. and then I watched it again on the Switch and I was really blown away by just how good it looked on my PS2 like hooked, yeah. hooked up with component cables to an HDMI TV like I was blown <laughs> away by how good that looked like when they show Oda Nobunaga in the opening cutscene I really thought that yeah. o- Oda Nobunaga was going to be like a bigger problem for me in this game <laughs> and then like he dies in the opening cutscene and you're like okay and then you find out later that like the demons are trying to resurrect him and it's yes, like okay. yeah but like when you show me nobunaga like i feel i just assume i'm gonna have to fight him at some point and i, yes, I understand yeah. that like you know i sort of you circumvent that by beating the final boss of this game but i i just kind of saw him and i was like oh i know him from from pokemon conquest and uh <laughs> and then I just never had to fight. Yeah, they, they really don't make you tussle with him until uh, I think it's three. Or you might have to fight him in two as well. But I, I wonder if they had planned 
to make you fight him later and they were just like we gotta ship this game dude like let's just make him fight a big like scary snake demon and have that be the end of the game because like yeah you you beat him and then like nobunaga's like all right well fuck i guess i'm out and then just like doesn't (laughs) resurrect i I was gonna ask since you mentioned the second and third games like Mm. are are the other games in the series good like would you would you recommend playing them if you liked this one you will like the other ones cool Uh, at least two and three three gets very very bizarre two is like mostly kind of a similar deal with like it's got a couple of characters that you play as you play as this guy named jubei who's like a different character than samonosuke and a amazing enemy in the other game is this guy named Gogan Dantis, who's like the the best Gogan swordsman Dantis. that's ever lived. He's like this demon character. And like if if you play it under a modern lens, like you're expecting these two characters to kiss at like any moment. They're just constantly <laughs> like, oh, you've I'm the best one. You've the only person who's ever been able to best me and stuff like that. Like just constantly that feeling is happening, but uh it never happens, unfortunately. But anyway, the combat's still really fun. It's still really good. Three does a little bit of a better job with the camera. You get a little bit more control mm-hmm. over it. That one weirdly features John Renault as like one of the main characters that you can play as and it swaps between timelines of feudal Japan and modern Paris as the places that you're playing in it's like the the Nobunaga's like lackeys are trying to go to the future to like fuck shit up weird and you have is to this Assassin's Creed it's a little Assassin's Creed yeah Nobunaga gets in the animus and is like I'm gonna go back and figure this out and and make it good for all my demon bros oh huh. I so time this to how we started this conversation yeah have you watched the netflix show i have not watched the netflix okay. show it looks pretty good but i haven't checked it out did you i was curious about it but no i haven't watched it i watched the preview for it just because i was like curious and it does look not related to this mm-hmm. other than the fact that like the main dude has the same gauntlet that like lets you absorb demon souls but I'm curious. I wonder if it's any good because this is fun. Yeah, this is I like fun. This. I really liked this. Yeah, I like this a lot. A, it was a good palate cleanser. Yeah. It, it's funny, too, because like my my memory of this game is that like this is one of the couple of PlayStation 2 games that like I had that were M rated that I had mm-hmm. like occasional access to before I was probably before I should have been playing M rated games, probably before you were M rated before yeah. I was M rated. Yeah, exactly. And like, don't get me wrong. I was playing M rated games like long before I turned 17. Sure. But like there are a co- I have this memory of like a couple of games that my dad had on the PS2 that he had like mostly gotten for himself, but like mm-hmm. knew that I spent more time on the ps2 than him and so like it would have been Mm. really complicated for him to hide those games from me and that was like 007 nightfire and this game and i remember like i want to say they were kept in like a different cabinet than the rest of the ps2 games were but like i knew where they were (laughs) and they weren't like they weren't like hidden hidden from me like i i knew where they were and he knew i knew where they were and so like this the memory that i had of this game before returning to it was like this was this was a mature game that like Mm -hmm. my dad had and like well you can play it but like it's kind of bloody and it might freak you out a little bit you know Mm -hmm. now playing it like it it was very campy and silly in a way that like i understand that like an adult seeing a like eight-year-old seven-year-old wanting to play this would be like there's a lot of blood and guts and stuff but playing it as an adult just like this is really silly (laughs) Yes. No, it it reads a lot more ridiculous 
playing it through this time, like all the dialogue between Sam and Osuke and any of the demons is always just so ridiculous. And like it, it does have that aesthetic of being kind of frightening. But and I, I remember at the time when I played this uh, when it came out. So I was like 10, 11. And like even then I was like, this 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 ain't that bad. Yeah, this is fine in a way that like I played Silent Hill 2 that next year and was like, absolutely fucking not. I can't handle this in the slightest. <laughs> like the, the difference between a Onimusha M and a Silent Hill 2 M is like as big as the ocean. It is so <laughs> different as far as like how actually mature something is. But just like the presence of blood does seem like it's going to be bad. But nah, man, this one's got Guildenstern in it. It's fine. It's a really special period of video games where it was like mature games are uh games that have silly blood in them and they're also the scariest thing you've ever seen in your life oh my god yeah i that i i think i've mentioned this before on the show but like the first time i played resident evil i was a little bit younger but like i genuinely thought zombies were gonna come like fuck up my house like i was so so scared (laughs) oh my god and like it just couldn't be further from the reality anymore like you play you play resident evil one you're like this is the dumbest shit i've ever seen it's really yeah it kind of reminds me of like fatal frame Mm-hmm. It's another yeah. series of this era that my brother had. And like, there's just something really freaky about like the ghosts. And like, there's this yeah. one lady who, like, one of the premises of Fatal Frame, if I remember correctly, is like, there are all these spirits who are kind of like unsent ghosts who are just like mm-hmm. bitter about their lives and like wandering mm. around in this area. And you take pictures of them. And there was one girl who I guess was like tortured before she died because you mm-hmm. like took a picture of her and you like heard her and she was put into this like she had she had to put on like a mask and the mask gouged her eyes out because it had spikes on the inside and she's like my eyes and she's like gouged out eyes and shit and like i'm sure that is silly i'm sure it is like that she looks like a muppet or whatever but like (laughs) yeah as a kid that was terrifying yes now i we we played one of the Fatal Frame games a couple of years ago for the show, and like it is some of the voice acting specifically is kind of goofy, but I think there is a pretty bit stark difference in just like the content stuff like that, where there can be something scary of like, isn't a zombie spooky to maybe get bitten? But like gouging your eyes out is pretty scary. Yeah, I think even body even as horror, an adult, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas like these big like earthworm gym looking guys, like they're not that it's not that scary. It's okay. Yeah. Sweet. Do we have anything else to say about Onimusha? Any uh any final thoughts here? I don't think so. This is a good game. I really enjoyed playing it. I'm glad uh yeah. I'm glad I returned to this one and I don't know. I think it's very easy, like you guys said, to kind of reduce Capcom nowadays, especially since KG Inafune is not around anymore, to just like a couple of mm-hmm. good things that come out every now and then. And especially since like they lean yeah. hard on that Resident Evil shit nowadays. But like Capcom used to just be pumping out bangers and they used to be like <laughs> yeah, really, really true. inventing interesting stuff in the mm-hmm. PS2 space. And taking things from one series and iterating on them in an interesting way. And uh, I'm really happy that I discovered that this is like such a neat series. Yeah, it's it's very cool. I, I think there are definitely parts of it that that don't age as well as something else, you know, from this from sure. this era. But like, you know, if you can deal with the fixed camera angle stuff, it, it is a little bit. I, I think it is a pretty fun experience. Yeah. Even, you know, I, again, I'm I'm biased. I, I was crazy about these games. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's something to love in there for sure. I suspect that if you tried to like emulate two or something that that might be kind of challenging because it it will force you to play with tank controls if i remember correctly mm-hmm. but uh three is good you can play with an analog stick on three pretty sure damn nice anyway gaming gaming video games they're gaming. so fucking cool they're so cool 
Hello gamers, uh, it's me, Chase, and I'm here to guide you through the outro. If you want to interact with us at all on the internet, you can do that at podtimism.com. There's links to all of our shit there. Uh, and you can join a Discord and come talk to us there too. Let me see, what else before I open the floor to, to the two of you? Actually, you know, fuck all that. Uh, thank, thanks to The Worst Garbage for having us on the network, and uh, thank you, Scott Wilkinson, for making our podcast art, and also thank you, listener, for listening to the show. It, uh, you do us a great service by uh, listening here, because there's a million podcasts, but you chose this one today, so thank you for doing that. Tori and Noah, uh, where can people find you on the internet if, they, if you want them to find you, and uh, what, what, what other stuff would you like people to check out after they listen to this episode? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore as underscore always and on Blue Sky at Tori DP98 at mm-hmm. bluesky.social. And you should check out our latest episode about Final Fantasy X. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good one. I can vouch for that one. It, it was very good. Meanwhile, I don't mind if you find me. I'm on Twitter, Noah underscore Hertz spelled H-U-R-T-S. Uh, our podcast press start the gen z video game news slash i don't think variety show really works as well for ours but like it's kind of all <laughs> over the place like uh, sometimes we talk about books we read sometimes we sometimes we get to the end of the show and we go hey what have you been playing and we don't mention a single video game <laughs> and that's the that's the good shit that's that good shit you can find more stuff about our podcast on our social media we're on twitter as well press underscore start pod we're also on tumblr and blue sky press hyphen start pod and i don't know if you find yourself uh really interested in emailing us before listening to the show you could also email us at hey press start at gmail.com but other than that yeah i uh i think i speak for both of us when i say that we can't thank you enough for having us this was very very fun yeah yeah totally you've spoken praises about our show so i want to take the opportunity to say that one thing i really love about y'all's show is just like and i know that that is like literally on the box but like just how how pleasant <laughs> it is it's always so optimistic mm-hmm. you guys always manage to find something positive to say about even the middest games of all time and Hell yeah. i think that's a that's a yeah. really lovely way of looking at everything yeah i feel like with the general state of the world it's really i feel like it's, it is easier to kind of like stare down the barrel sometimes and be like yeah. jesus yeah, totally. everything is terrible but finding the silver lining is the harder thing everything was terrible but like i ninja for the ps2 was kind of fun wasn't it <laughs> it's, it's fucking there was parts of it that banged man <laughs> blinks blinks the cat not a very good game but damn that cat do be cute <laughs> That was, I think that was actually the takeaway from Blinks the Cat. <laughs> yeah. played that. The design of Blinks was pretty good. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, gamers. Bye, gamers. Garbage. Uh, online.